Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Just a reminder that Diet Starts Tomorrow is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or a health professional. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow. I stand behind my decision to avoid salad and other disgusting things. With hosts Remy Casimir. I'll have what she's having. And Emily Lubin. Remember, shoot like you have a secret. We're here to amuse your boosh. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. Sadly, my lovely co-host Remy isn't feeling well today, but she's missing out because I have the next best thing sitting beside (laughs) me. (laughs) And that is our guest today. Cheyenne Davis, writer, podcaster, content creator, adjunct instructor in media, culture, communication at NYU. I am so excited to have you today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now, today we're talking about a topic that we have touched on before, but it's a very big topic and we haven't been able to delve that deeply into it. And that is traveling while fat, the experience of not always being accommodated in that arena. Can you tell me how you became interested in this subject? And you're a writer. I know that you've written about this subject before, but when did that start and and what was the impetus for that? Um, Well, actually, I'm currently writing about it um, and I've been doing a lot of research around it, but also part of that research is myself. I'm a fat person um, who loves to travel and I don't let that stop me because I don't think anything should stop me. However, it doesn't, I'm not saying myself. And when I say this, I'm not saying that my fatness is the problem because that's not what I'm here to say. Um, We know that there are systems in place, especially fat phobia that impede on my success as a traveler, as a fat Mm -hmm. person. Um, But I'm here to say that a lot of it is, can I curse? Yes. It could be a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say that. So thank you. So I remember a couple of years ago, back in 2019, I went to, the Bahamas with my family is me and my sister. And I flew with um, JetBlue. And I was like, okay, everything seems fine. Like TSA is as mean as they usually are. So like, Always. you just, you know, fuck that. It's going to be what it's going to be, right? Didn't have to run to the gate. So that's even better because we get there like three years early. So like, we don't have to worry <laughs> about that. And checking in was good. Getting on the flight was good up until the very point where I get to my seat. So there's this white guy and his family giving very much like, 1950s nuclear family and I'm like okay oh shit this is about to be a problem because again we have to think about like yes I'm a fat person but I'm also a black person too so that intersects and we have to worry about weird shit that happens with that so I sit down I'm like okay these seats are a lot smaller than I remember because I didn't travel for a while because I had no money I was in college um and then I had some money while I was in grad school I'm like you know what might as well travel now Mm -hmm. um and at the time I was also in a smaller body still a fat body but a smaller body and that does matter um, so, you know, after recognizing that I gained weight and funds, which doesn't matter, I'm sitting in the seat and like, I'm like, this is very tight. And then I'm like, you know, I now need a seatbelt extender because the seatbelt wasn't clicking. So, you know, the flight attendants, they like to play these little games too. And I'm not trying to be cynical, but like, it's very hard not to be. Yeah. Um, and like, I had to wait until the, uh, we were almost damn near at takeoff when I got my um, seatbelt extender. I asked three different people and they kind of like ignored me. And I feel like a lot of times, because I've spoken to other fat people too who talk about this often. um, It's like, it just feels like this very weird shaming behavior where it's like, oh, you're fucking fat. You don't need a seatbelt. Like, why are you here? Or, or you need to buy a second seat or just a lot of weird things that they do to you. And then on top of that, I'm struggling, waiting for the seatbelt extender and fucking Carl, because he was wasn't sitting with his family. He's over there moaning and groaning and having this visceral reaction to me being a fat black person who happens to just sit next to him um, because we were both not near our families. He, His wife and his kids were on the other side. My mother and my sister were on the other side as well. So it's just me and Carl and just the shitty like box of a seat. And like he's he's 
groaning. I'm pissed off because I'm like, okay, I can't fit in the seat comfortably and I have to wait for the seatbelt extender. It was just a very uncomfortable experience. However, once the flight got started and everybody got snacks and thank God for JetBlue because they have great snacks. They have Doritos. They really do. They have the like, popcorners. They have top tier snacks on the plane. They I'm do. like, wow, like that was the saving grace of, of that <laughs> moment. But like other than that, it's it's been a it's been a shit show. But there's so much to talk about from traveling because I know that the flight is a big thing for fat people. Um, even when we think about media, because I have to go in with a media perspective, like when we think about how, why did I get married by Tyler Perry and Jill Scott gets on the plane with her cheating ass husband who was sitting right there with his like mistress and he's, and, and they, they were like, well, you're big. So you need to buy two seats and he wasn't going to buy the seat for her. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up driving the Colorado because she didn't have the money to get a second seat, nor does she want to be embarrassed. So just even the ways in which we depict fat people, even though that's, that's, a very Tyler Perry chooses these weird ass scenarios to put on television. So like, <laughs> yeah, but there's that some, actually there, that that to me is realistic. There is though, some because, accuracy to it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I I think the the thing that you said that really stood out to me just now was the embarrassment. I I do think that even if it's not the fact that you had to ask for the seatbelt extender for from three different people, that's humiliating. It it is. And it's almost like they're doing it on purpose. It is. What ended up happening? Did you get the seatbelt extender? Did the guy uh, offer to change seats or what happened? Carl was just a white man fuming the whole flight. And Uh I just let him be that, okay? Uh I did get my seatbelt extender. Literally, they were doing, going through the motions of the safety procedures while I was getting, we're literally on the tarmac at this point. And I get my seatbelt extender. So not only has the plane been driving and I didn't have my seatbelt on, which is unsafe, as we know, y'all are going against safety procedures because everyone's not buckled in. And number two, like, it's like, why should I wait that long? Now, there have been great times where I didn't even have to wait the minute I said I got before before I even got to my seat. I said, hey, can I have a seatbelt extender? And the flight attendant was very gracious and very kind and just reached up and grabbed it for me really quick and just didn't make a big deal of it. But when we make all these like, When there's these theatrics around like traveling for fat people, it's just this weird situation where it's like, okay, you're fat and we're going to shame you now because you want to enjoy life like everybody else. And now you're on this plane sitting here waiting for the seatbelt extenders. It's it's very weird. Like I didn't sign up for a Shakespearean production. I really didn't. Right. And you didn't have to send your measurements when you bought the plane ticket. That's another thing. And that's something that I actually wonder about a lot is like, if you're going to have the seats all be a uniform size. Right. And if you have to buy an extra seat, if you're above that size, right. wouldn't you ask somebody what their size is or say, like, specify a certain measurement prior to? Not that I would think that's the right way to go about it, but wouldn't you at least warn them that they're not going to fit in the seat? Here's the thing. And I've heard some very weird shit. So like the FAA, we know how corrupt they are. I'm not even going to get into them too much because I am not, even though I wrote a term paper on them in, in seventh grade, because I did. Well, you? I did. It was very random and very weird. I was a very interesting child, but that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast topic for a whole nother day. Um, however, they'll say a bunch of things like, you know, they can't really engineer planes a certain way because they have to worry about weights. But we all know that engineering is math, right? So if you have to, uh, if we know that larger seats require larger measure measurements. Don't you just plug the stuff into the formulas? The formulas don't necessarily change. It's just the numbers that change. And then the building around it changes it to accommodate people. So we all know that y'all are making these seats smaller because we know, especially in COVID times, y'all lost a shit ton of money mm-hmm. because nobody could travel. So now they're like, let's make the planes bigger, make the seats smaller so that we can accommodate more money, not accommodate body sizes. Yeah, and they really are packing in as many people as possible. That part. I have noticed that. And I don't think that it's just that you had gotten bigger or that you were imagining it. The seats definitely have gotten smaller because the last time I traveled, I did fly JetBlue and I noticed that also, they used to give you unlimited snacks. Yeah, they they, they cut the snacks down. I noticed that too. Yeah. I'm like, y'all playing with me now. It's fucked up. It's really Do is. Do you remember JetBlue? Like how JetBlue was like the innovative leader yes. of the airlines? Leather yes. seats. Do you remember that commercial? Oh my God. Leather I seats, TVs I rem- on every seat. I remember when I first flew JetBlue. So we were going on a Disney trip. This is a sidebar. And sometimes I have sidebars. So oh, forgive that's okay. Me. So we were, it was ninth grade. We were going to Disney for a band trip. Again, very nerdy, wow, weird child, yeah. still as an adult, but here we are. And we flew JetBlue, and I've never flown JetBlue. I was a continental person through and through, like a tried and true continental um, United stan, okay? Okay. I get on JetBlue, 
And it's like a whole new world. They have TVs because, you know, United didn't have TVs at this point. Yeah. And for domestic flights, only for international. They Sometimes had you would get the single TV at the front and yes. everybody would have to watch and Home we're Alone. All squint, and we're all squinting to watch uh, fucking <laughs> Princess and the Frog. Like, what are we doing? But um, no, I get on JetBlue. I'm like, wow, I can watch SpongeBob at my seat and eat my snacks. That's crazy. It's deluxe. It, it, listen, top tier, like 10 out of 10 would definitely do it again from then, but now JetBlue is just, it's, it's They've really regressed. They charge you for a carry-on now too. All these flights are charging for li li literally like everyone jokes about how like spirit charges for everything. I could breathe on United and they're going to charge me $80. Yeah. Like, like literally <laughs> I could just breathe and they're going to be like, yo, you got to pay us $80 right now. So like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I know. It's, it's yeah. The flying experience isn't good for anybody, <laughs> it's not. but then think about being in a larger body. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to the listeners at home, being in a larger body and having to also worry about a being shamed, but B not being safe on the flight. It's absolutely ridiculous when you think about how much we pay for the airline ticket and for the experience. And then the bathroom, too. That's a whole nother thing we need to talk oh, about. The bathroom, the leg space, because I'm also a taller person. Too. You and are. Alert, how alert, tall are you? I'm 5'8". And alert, so I'm not I'm like not I'm not like super, super tall, yeah. but I'm a taller person. I'm fine like, as well. And like my legs sometimes and, you know, the tray, you have to worry about the tray coming out. Mm -hmm. And then when you want to go to the bathroom, it's like this small It's a small, not even my finger, my, my nail, the tip of my nail. Yeah. So you're literally sitting there. I'm like, how am I going to wipe my ass and flush and wash <laughs> my hands? Now we're in turbulence. Now I'm stuck in here. Uh -huh. It's like, it's, it's really like a Hollywood production and not in a good way. Yeah. It's a harrowing experience. Yes. But on the subject of seating, you know, I hope this is okay for me to share. When you came in, we did have a seat ready for you. And I could see that the seat, it had arms on it. And I could see that it was a little bit restrictive and we switched right. out the seat. Do you ever go into, um, this isn't limited to flights or trains mm -hmm. or transportation, but restaurants or waiting rooms or, and the, the <laughs> seats are far too restrictive. And what do you do if that oh happens? Oh my God. Okay. Even though I'm very public facing, I'm not the most confrontational person. So like I'm at my big age of 28, I'm still learning what it's like to advocate for myself. And this is coming from a person that's often advocating for other people and, 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 and things. It's very scary sometimes for me to be say, Hey, I'm fucking uncomfortable. Like help. Yeah. Um, but I've come to, into a season where I've started saying, you know, save this situation. But I did speak up and say, this was not comfortable. My hips are wise. Yeah. Why? But like, a lot of times I'll say, hey, like, can do you have any other chairs? Especially at bars and stuff. I do not. My friends all know I don't do the the, the high stools. tops. Hell no. Hell. And, <laughs> and the reason why is because one time um, I took some some medication and I drank and I didn't even have a lot of drink to drink, but I took some Claritin and it fucked me up and I fell off a bar stool. So I've been, tr yeah. Just from Claritin? Claritin and alcohol do not mix very oh, well. Okay. And also I take an <laughs> antidepressant too. And I took all of them at the same time. And I don't really drink like that. And then I smoked on top of that too. It's a like, lot. Yeah. Cheyenne was doing the most. It was two weeks before my 28th birthday. I was living large you and taking charge. Yeah, I was really living it up. As and Ja Rule would say. Absolutely. Please, Ja Rule, please. Please. <laughs> please, Ja Rule. Please. Okay. I'm, I I'm, love ja Rule. Me too. I'm going to scream and I'm screaming internally. But like, anyway, um, I fell off a bar stool. But even before then, even going on vacation or going out, I do not do bar stools at all. They're not fat person friendly. Yeah. Never have been, never will be. My ass is too big. Like I have a fat ass. Like I'm not doing this. Like I'm not going to sit up here and like struggle. Like we're not doing that. And I'm trying to look sexy too. And I'm like teeter tottering. I'm not doing that. Here, I have the most random question, but sure. um, are you familiar with Ariana Grande's album covers? <laughs> the ones before she was transracial or after? Uh, I think it might have been before or teetering on the edge. There's oh, okay. there's an album cover and it was the subject of a lot of conversation because she's sitting on this stool and she's kind of like, like her knees are bent <laughs> over the stool. I need to find, I don't have You phone. have to find the picture I'll, for me because I, I, I need the context. Rebecca's going to find it. It's, Wonderful. She's balancing on the stool, you know, such a way that I don't even think any human could do. I mean, this girl's tiny. She is tiny. But not only is she balancing on this stool. Do you see it? Oh, this one. How the fuck did she do that? It's not. It defies the laws of physics. Uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. And she's also posing for a professional photo. It's not just like, oh, I, I am tiny so I can balance on the stool for two seconds. She had to be up on that stool for like 
an hour at least at for the least. photo shoot. Yeah. Um, and that was the subject of a lot of conversation. But anyway, I would just love to see like a montage of average size or plus size people trying to do that on the stool. I'm going to tell you right now, my fat ass is not doing that. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm not doing that. If they had an open casting call for that, Cheyenne is not signing up. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if you even if you were straight sized, your height would probably prohibit you. Like, I, I remember in college, there were girls that used to do their makeup by sitting in the sink. Have you ever encountered this? Yeah, and I'm like, why are y'all sitting? First of all, why do y'all have y'all ass <laughs> on the counter? That's that again. I come it's from a very black. I come from a very black household. We don't play games like that. So like, that's just no. But just the. F- <sighs> this is. I question everything about my reality when people do shit like that because yeah. it's just like how and what type of sorcery are you doing to even allow yourself to stay on that and stabilize yourself on that. Yeah. So I like, was, yeah, but I've witnessed that in college and I'm like, I don't know what y'all doing, but go ahead. If, if you want to be uncomfortable, that's like, fine. Like, fine. Like do what you want to do. I, I've heard people say before, there are three types of makeup appliers, people who stand up in the bathroom mirror and do it. People who sit down at a desk or a vanity or something. That's me. That's you. See, that's the best way. I'm not patient enough, but that is what's the most- your sign. Virgo. I'm a Virgo too. No When's way. your birthday? It's unfortunately it's 9/11. I'm the 14th. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, Remy is a Virgo too. When's her birthday her, or their birthday? I don't know their her pronouns. Her birthday is the ninth. Okay, so it's I like back to right. back almost. That's yes. Interesting. Honestly, if she were here, it would be too powerful. <laughs> yeah, it would be a lot. <laughs> it would be a lot. Okay, back to traveling. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? Let me just close that loop. The the third way is sitting on the floor. Like some girls will sit on the floor yeah, in front of a before. full length mirror. But the secret fourth way, and this is how you know a girl is a psycho, <laughs> is if she sits in the sink and does it in the sink with her feet in the drain. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y.com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Okay, back to traveling. What is your experience traveling? How many places have you okay. been? Now I gotta count. Oh. Well, you know, you don't even have to count, but like, I've has been, it- I've been over 10 places, maybe about like 12, 13. I'm going back to Jamaica in June because oh, I just awesome. need a break. But I've been all, oh, I've been a lot of places, mostly Europe, but I've also been to Asia. I've been to Bali in 2019. Oh, um, cool. Mostly like Europe and the Caribbean. Cool. And so, but not a lot of places in the U.S. But a lot of, but it seems like international. You've yeah. been a lot of places. Yeah. What do you think was the easiest or most accommodating traveling experience? That's a good question. Honestly, I would have to say the easiest, the easiest travel experience I had was Bali. To be, believe it or not, the places that I stayed at, they were very nice. Whenever I needed something, they would get it. They were. Um, I went with my sister. 
The seats were pretty good. I didn't really have a problem with seats. The cars were kind of small, but even then they tried to figure out, like, do you need more leg space? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that we can move to help y'all? Do y'all need a bigger car? Is there anything that you need? Um, They're very good. I remember one time I got sick on their Independence Day, and we were supposed to go to, like, this Independence Day dinner that they had, and at first they were going to charge us, and they're like, they called, and they're like, no, we're not going to charge you. We're actually concerned for your health. Do you need to go to the doctor? What? Um, yeah, I've never experienced that before in my life. So they're very accommodating, very gracious, very sweet. So nice. Um, also, flight-wise, I would say the best seating experience I had was Singapore Air because we flew from Newark to Singapore, which is the longest flight in the world, that's 17 and a half hours. Jeez. Yes. And then the turbulence, you, you think the flight is long. The turbulence is horrendous because you're really? flying all over all that water. Mm. So it's going to be a turbulent flight. And we flew during like typhoon season two so we flew over japan they were having a typhoon it was a lot it was too much going on i thought i was gonna die but i didn't <laughs> i'm here obviously i'm still here um was bali a diverse place i've never been there um i did see some black people but i mostly saw white australians because dr for us is like bali for them right um but um but it was that, distance wise yeah distance wise but that was a little chaotic and, and in terms of body diversity or is there a lot um that's a good question i didn't really notice the one thing i did say see in bali that was a, a struggle was the gift shop one of the excursions we did where they drove us around the island you get to stop and get like at a textile shop and buy clothes and stuff and a lot of the stuff that i couldn't wear so what i would get was just like loose fabric so i could make sarongs and stuff but even then like the dresses and stuff i never really could fit and at that time, I was still committed to weight loss because I just didn't want to be in a larger body because mm-hmm. of what came with it. This is before I've got done the work that I'm where I am now. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll lose weight to fit it or maybe like in another life I can fit it or I can give it to somebody else. But I was really gung-ho of trying to lose weight to fit into it. But like, I don't really give a fuck. I don't fit it. So it's fine. Yeah. But it's just like, you know, that We've was the one thing. We've talked about that on, on this show a lot. Like, th- I think that's a very, very common thing that people do is they'll buy something extra special and it's kind of like motivation mm-hmm. to, to be smaller. And it almost never works. Of course not. You just diet, waste money. We know diet culture is, it doesn't work. It comes from a puritanical structure. They literally said that if you threw up and lost weight, you'd be closer to God. Mm-hmm. And that they and one of the reasons as to why, um, shout out to Sabrina Strings of Fearing the Black Body. Very great resource for folks understanding fat phobia. Oh, I need to read as, that. Especially after how it intersects with anti-blackness. I teach this, I teach part of it to my class. The 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 chapter four is called the aesthetic aesthetic, and it's about um how the transatlantic slave trade had prompted this puritanical need to to make people lose weight because the darker you are and the larger you are, darkness, blackness and fatness were associated with being savage and being evil and being uncivilized. And they also had a bunch of different like anthropologists. And physicians at the time that would say that, you know, black people's faces and brains were made for them to eat and and overindulge while white people's faces and brains were were created for conversation and innovation and all the things that uh, white people are privileged to do, like excelling in life and things like that. Not saying that black people don't, but just saying that the just setting up this dyad that black people were not civilized and yeah. that they had to be, you know, enslaved. And therefore, being that black people were used, especially black fat, fat femme bodies, were used as a metric um, for white white women to not be, or white people to not be at all. That's when they doubled down with the puritanical belief system of, oh, if you're fat, you're not godly. You're evil and you're you're of the devil and you have to lose weight. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, that's where diet culture really starts, is the right. puritanical church. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's really important that people understand that. And just because, you know, you have to understand the history to understand where we are now, because these systems are still in place and it's still going on. I didn't know this. I learned it recently because um, the Super Bowl that just happened was the first Super Bowl. I believe that both of the quarterbacks were black men. Wow. And the reason why or, you know, people speculate that the reason why black men aren't encouraged to play quarterback is because that position is one that stereotypically requires a lot of thought and a lot of, you know, strategy. And so oftentimes black men will be encouraged to play different positions, Mm -hmm. running backs or um, honestly, I don't know that much about football. But they're not encouraged to play those positions because those stereotypes still very much exist. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then again, you also have to think about how um, there's a lot of intersections with fat phobia, right? So 
even from a black fat perspective of a person traveling. Um, for example, when I was in France, I have a whole French degree. So, oh, cool. yeah, that's, that's what I have. So a lot of times they'll look at you like you don't understand because there's this linking of fatness and ableism too, that we also have to think about. Yeah. Um, whether it's you're going to the doctor, you're traveling or you're, even if you're like going on a date too, cause there's a bunch of stuff I could talk about too, about how like people perceive fatness as, oh, you don't know. Because again, people look at fatness as an amalgamation of poor choices and that those poor choices are supposed to re be the reason as to why you're mistreated or perceived as someone that doesn't understand because it's like, why did you, you chose to be fat. So clearly you don't know what you're doing or you don't know what's good for you. Therefore, if I'm talking to you, you don't understand. You can't comprehend because you lack comprehension in terms of what's societally good for you. Desirability politics is really a trip. It's really a hot fucking mess express. Yeah. Um, zero out of 10 would recommend. But anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, what I was trying to say was a lot of times there'd be times where I'd speak French and like, I don't mind people correcting me when I'm speaking a different language because oh, I the feel French like French love to correct they you love when I tell you, <laughs> you can mess up one thing and they will literally give you a whole grammar, uh, a whole grammar manual. Yeah. A if whole you grammar lesson. A you say, and a law, forget it. Forget it. And, and there, and the thing is, especially as a person who's gender non-conforming, non-binary, they're very committed to romance languages, period, are very committed to, to genders, right? Yeah. But the French, forget about it. They, them pronouns? What? You're not a <laughs> you're not a group of people. Even you could have like, and I don't like to use binary terms. You have two guys, two girls and one guy, you still have to use a masculine version because that's how Yes. Yeah, it's 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 a mess. So anyway, like I messed up, I forgot what I messed on, messed up on. And mind you, I'm a little rusty, so I will not be speaking French today. Okay. Um, but, um, I, I, I was going to ask. Okay. I'm not going to speak French today. I'm just like, I'm do the rest of this podcast in French. Oh my mind? God. Imagine. Listen, I would just leave right now. My um, French is definitely worse than yours. Yeah. But like, it, it's, it's a little rusty, but I messed up and I was at a cafe ordering something. And this was, I was, this is in 2014. I was doing a study abroad summer program. And I was staying with a host family who spoke no English. So I'd speak French the whole time. Everybody else was lucky. They had people that spoke English and French. They were like, no, Cheyenne, we're going to throw you in with the alligators. Like, you're going to have to learn. Ugh. So, like, I'm like, okay. Um, so my French was actually getting a lot better. But, like, they kind of acted like they didn't know what I was saying at all. And this spoke to me in English the whole time. And it was just acting like they couldn't understand what I was saying, even though I was clearly actually speaking very good French. There was also another time I was on, again, mind you, France, Paris is very compact, as we know. The showers are small. Um, the stairs are small. The chairs are small. The the subway cars can be a little, they get very packed. Cramped. They get cramped. And I lived on this line called Line 13. And Line 13 is notoriously busy all the time. It could be 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. It's still going to be busy. So I'm on the train going home from school. And I did not know that I'd take my backpack off because I wasn't taking a lot of public transportation until I went to Paris. And so I'm sitting there, standing there with my backpack on, and I'm like, okay, like, do I, what, I'm just chilling. And this white lady literally berates me in like two, two minutes in French, like, did you not know that you have to take your, your backpack off? Like, you're being impolite. Like, how dare you? And the French will really call you out on your shit if they feel like they need to. And I'm looking like, well, I didn't know. And I told her, like, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But like, just the way that she spoke to me was very much like, like, did you not know? Like, how did you not know? Very much like I was a child and I'm a whole 19 year old. Now, granted, I consider 19 year olds still kids, but like, I look very much like an adult and I was very much presenting myself as an adult. So it's like, why are you being infantilizing? There's a lot of infantilization that comes with people and how they perceive fat people, especially fat black people. Again, going back to those stereotypes um, of your, but like, um, you know, it's a weird experience and it really like is a very uncomfortable experience too. How do you deal with those situations? Do you kill them with kindness? Do you mm. fight back? Like mm. what is your go-to? Cause you said you're not great at confrontation. I'm not. Usually it's the killing with kindness. I'm trying to get more in a space where I'm like, you know what? Like fuck you, but not so much fuck you, but like nice, nasty fuck you. Fuck you kindly. But yeah. But like, you know, I, I would prefer if I were to relive that that situation, I would have stood up for myself more. But also remember in 2014, they had a lot of issues with immigration. And that's when a lot of black people and brown people were coming from like Syria and North Africa and West Africa into Marseille, into Paris. And there was a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment and a lot of anti-blackness and anti-Islamophobia um, and, and all types of stuff. And so I didn't really want to talk, uh, speak up because I was one of two black people on this trip. 
Okay. Um, from my school. I went to Rutgers um, undergrad. French department, lovely people, but not a lot of black people went on this trip because a lot of people couldn't afford it. It was very expensive. So, and you had to pay out of pocket. There was no scholarships or anything for it. So, um, you know, understanding that I was an American who was also black and fat and queer who also had to exist at a very pivotal time in French politics because a lot of shit was happening so much so that there was anti-blackness running rampant to the point where this one man had a drum and was like, you're African, do you want to hit my drum? Literally said that to me no. on the train. No, I'm dead serious. <gasps> it was a lot. Like, I experienced a lot of weird shit in Paris. Even fat fetishism, which we definitely need to talk about, too, is a very big part of travel that I would definitely want to touch on later. But, um, yeah, like, just I didn't want to get into any issues with the police because I don't know what their legal system is like. Yeah, 100%. I hate the American legal system, so I damn sure don't want to deal with anyone else's legal system. Uh, you don't want to be the next Amanda Knox. No, I really do not. So <laughs> I kept, I was like, you know, I'm sorry. I took my backpack off. I minded my business, got off the train, and I got me a cocktail because I just couldn't do it. It was a lot. And I was like, I need a drink and I need a bowl of pasta, ASAP. So that that was my, my pick-me-up for that moment. Were you by yourself in that moment or did you have friends I around? was by myself. Most of my experiences in Paris, even though I did travel with like a friend around the city or we did stuff as a group, I really liked exploring by myself because this was right after my father died um, in 2013. So I was grieving and I needed a lot of space to just be myself. And just explore and just breathe. Because oh, I so didn't, you're the type of person that when you're in mourning or ha having a rough experience, you like to decompress. I alone. do. It's it's a lot easier. And plus, like also, like I, I have a lot of weird things around. Like I don't want to burden people. Even though, again, now I've learned that the power of community and you having the right people around you who can support you, there is a difference. And I do and I do welcome that now. But at that time, I didn't have the language skills for that. I was still a kid, like I was right. still a teenager. Yeah. So it was a lot going on, and I just didn't. You know, I kind of thrusted myself into this Paris trip so I can get away from like the agony of the grief. But I, then I realized, wow, the grief literally came on the plane with me. So now I'm sitting in Paris, like fucking full grief on grieving, trying to really navigate the space that is Paris as a person who's non-Parisian and non-French, as a person who doesn't look like anybody there. Even the black people, there weren't a lot. There were people who were fat and black, obviously, but there weren't a lot of them, especially in the places where they had us going to. A lot of the places were mostly where white people went. Mm -hmm. So like, I didn't get enough time to explore black culture in France like I like to, but I would definitely go again and do it. But like, yeah, France is not fat friendly. Paris is really not fat friendly. I don't find that surprising. I really don't. I The only reason why I was asking is I'm curious if this type of treatment would happen to you when you were around other people. Because mm. I think oftentimes when people are alone, then other people feel very free to oh, for beat sure. up on them. Um, that instance about if I'm African, do you want to hit my drum? I was with my other friend who was also black. So he was asking oh, both of us. Geez. Honestly, when I was with a group of people, I didn't really experience a lot of that. But there have been times in my life where I've experienced blatant fat phobia where like I was left out or people ignored me blatantly and other people were there and they didn't stand up for me. And that's something that I want to note too. That's very interesting about how groupthink works in, in conjunction with fat phobia. You can have one fat friend who's clearly experiencing some fat phobia, whether it be they went, y'all went to a club and the bouncer didn't let them in. Why would you still go into that club? Right. Why would you just leave your friend hanging? Or like you are at a restaurant and they don't have the right seating. And like, like, Again, yes, it's important that we advocate for ourselves, but nothing's going to change unless people, especially those who are straight size, also speak up and say, hey, that's wrong. That's a person. Yeah. And if that's your friend and you don't do anything, then the message that you're sending is that you're cool with it. Yeah. yeah like I'm cool with you being abused, which means right. you're not my fucking friend. So like like that's a whole nother thing that we need to explore. But yeah, like most of the times on that trip, I didn't really experience anything from other people per se that wasn't um, weird like that mm -hmm. and the thing is i will say even though i've experienced fat phobia even my experiences are different because i've noticed in certain spaces i still do benefit from a level of pretty privilege too so there have been several times where like i've still gotten things that i needed because i asked a certain way mm -hmm. very much respectability politics or i looked a certain way or i knew how to play the game like oh if i dress a certain way i'll still get what i need so i knew that there were some privileges that i could maneuver through for, through in order to make my experience a little bit better but still experience some fat phobia at the end of the day The whole pretty privilege thing really confuses me okay. because I just think no matter who you are, 
you have privilege depending on certain gifts that you have for sure so like maybe you're good looking but maybe you're also charming or maybe you're well-spoken or smart or a good talker like it's so difficult to measure what gives somebody this much privilege versus this much privilege in a transaction with another person for sure um i will say and you're right there are a lot of because desirability politics is something i teach in class too especially as it pertains to dating apps because I think one of the best ways to understand desirability politics is dating apps because it does encompass all those things like coming off as charming and all this other stuff. Yeah. Too. But at the end of the day, pretty privilege is still an institution where, yes, again, marginalized folks can be privileged and oppressed at the same time. White people can have some oppressions, but they're still white. Mm -hmm. So what I like to say is that a lot of times, especially with, um, Pretty privilege becomes very complicated when it becomes to marginalized people, too, because there's a very narrow line that often has a lot of dashes, in my opinion, when it comes between pretty privilege and being um, fetishized. Because I feel like a lot of times, yes, people may perceive you as pretty, but also there could be a possibility, too, that people are perceiving you as some sort, sort of thing because they're actually fetishizing or commodifying your body rather than actually appreciating you as a person or seeing you as pretty by societal standards. But we do know that, again, pretty privilege can be very complicated because that means different things for different contexts for different people. Yeah. And it, you're right. There are also other factors like, what if this person is charming? What if this person is charismatic? What if this person does have an interesting way of speaking or organizing their words? What if this person has great has a great sense of fashion? There's a lot mm -hmm. of different things that come into play. Or just great energy. Like great sometimes energy you too. can tell when somebody walks you know, into a drugstore or something, they're going to be treated better just because they have a better energy about that. That's true too. So there are a lot of things that go into that, but then there are clear distinctions of we're all dressed similarly and we're at a nightclub. And because I'm larger and darker, all of a sudden I can't get into this club. Yeah. Has that happened to you? No. Um, I've seen that happen to other people and obviously I wouldn't go in, but that's never happened to me. Yeah. I, most of the time I go to a club and a bouncer tries to flirt with me and I flirt back because I'm trying to get in for free. Oh, Not yeah. because I really want to, but like, I, you know. Well, that's I'm, desirability politics yeah. oh, as well. Oh, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Absolutely. And I own that for sure. What? So can you define desirability politics? And I can understand how that would show up when using dating apps of course, but then also you're teetering on the edge of some people are attracted to fat people. Some people find fat people desirable. How do you, how do you differentiate? Okay. The two? Desirability politics is a construct, a social construct. Yes. There are fat people that are attractive. Yes. There are fat people that date and get married and, and fuck and do all this extra shit. Right. But desirability as a social construct means you are preserving certain attributes such as being white, being thin, Eurocentric beauty standards are prioritized over those who are outside of it. And that because it's more socially desirable to be these things. So by society at large. Yes. Now by whiteness, because desirability politics is an institution of whiteness. So society, society at large based on whiteness slash white supremacy, people who are within the parameters of Eurocentric beauty standards able-bodied, neurotypical, white, um, have a great economical standing. Um, the closer you are to whiteness, the more desirable you are. Now, um, straight, I forgot, like cis-hetero, straight, and, straight and, and, and not a trans person. Um, but on the flip side, if you're black, if you're fat, if you're disabled, if you're queer, if you're trans, if you're darker-skinned, if you're neuro, neurodivergent, if you're poor, um, even some, even some, if you're non-Christian, because we have to consider that too, these are all things outside of desirability. So socially as society at large, you are not considered a person that's desirable. So they will find ways for you to feel like you don't, you need to be othered or feel like you don't, you're not attractive. An example of this, let's talk about love is blind. Vanessa Lachey a couple of years ago said back, said that she was not going to include fat people because she felt like they'd be insecure and that they would come off as insecure on the show. That's insane. It is. And like, <laughs> I, I don't, I haven't, and I want to be like, baby, you worried about fat people. What has your husband done? Like what music has he put out prior to this? Like what have you and your husband really been doing other than this show? So like, I don't, point. It's like, also I, you need to worry about your man. You worried about people and you need to worry about your man. They start off the show or, or uh, Nick Lachey starts off the show with, obviously I'm Nick Lachey. Like I'm like, he's relevant at all. Nicholas, baby. What do you mean? <laughs> obviously. It's obvious that you haven't made music in like in like almost a decade. Yeah. What are we doing? 
The last time I remembered you was from American Idol, right? That's where he's from, correct? Where's no, Nick Lachey from? 98 Degrees. Oh. Didn't and it, not even a top-tier boy band. You know what? I got him mixed up with um, David Archuleta. That's, you know, some of these oh white men God. I get mixed up. I'm, I apologize. Wait, I don't so apologize different? For, and very different, but you know I what? I love David Archuleta. I do too. And he has a, he has a, the same birthday as one of my friends. That's how I remember him. Oh, really? Yeah, he does. December 28th. Guys, but, look um, up Touch My Hand <laughs> on Spotify. Oh my God. It's real good. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come for David Archuleta. I'm not we trying. Never, this is a pro Archuleta podcast. I'm so sorry. Like, forgive me, please. <laughs> I apologize to y'all. I apologize to betches. Like I'm apologizing to everybody. I will not so apologize to Nicholas Lachey. I did. I, I mix a lot of people up, but Nick Lachey. But he, Nick Lachey is also not relevant anymore. He's I mean, really not. So like, why are you up here acting like y'all are relevant? <laughs> y'all are only relevant because Netflix gave y'all relevancy. Other than know, that, y'all wouldn't be. But but back to what you were saying. That is such a fake reason. I hate when people give fake reasons for why they won't cast fat people on the show. Like that is just not, you didn't even think about it. No, you didn't. And like, as a person who was very big on like restructuring media to be more inclusive and not inclusive because, Oh, we want to make more money inclusive because people watch TV and they want to see themselves. People deserve to see themselves, whether it's you're a witch, whether you're a firefighter, whether you're on Grey's anatomy, I would love to see a witch on love is blind. Yeah. Whether, whatever, (laughs) whatever you are, um, whether it's reality, unscripted television or scripted television or whatever, you should be able to see yourself. And the fact that we're having these dating shows where when there are larger body people, because there was a couple of times on Love is Blind, they had a larger body person that still had some conventional attractiveness. When they find out that the person is fat, they wouldn't pick them. And which mm-hmm. I'm like, y'all, y'all got to be fucking kidding me with this. And they're now. on the wrong show. I mean, let's be honest. Like the whole concept is that it's not supposed to matter what they look. That's like. my whole thing. If 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 we're supposed to be matching and that's the reason, other reason why I'm like, Vanessa, like, what are you talking about? If the whole idea of the show is that folks are supposed to be coming in to gain a sense of who people are just from talking to them through, through a screen and then they finally see them and and, and it, things should take off or, or, or not the men you're really you end up liking somebody you really gonna discount them because they're fat right i mean you would just look like a huge asshole on tv and it, it would be but people don't see it that way yeah because it's like okay this is a fat person i would have said no to her too i would have said no to them too and it's like that's but that's kind of gross to me and it's so super gross and so when people are like oh well there's preferences but i also name you know because there are people saying you know we have preference for taller men or tall or 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 a certain type of people. I say everybody may have preferences, but some of the preferences that we have, we also need to question too, because they also can be rooted in desirability politics and whiteness. I, I, and that's know, a hard pill to swallow. Even for me at some points in my life, I'm like, damn, like I was really acting like that, huh? Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I relate to that a lot actually, because I used to, I used to be one of these bitches that was like six feet and up, you know, mm-hmm. I won't date anyone. And why? Like looking back, it was just because I had this fucked up idea of what was masculine and what was feminine. Yeah. And like you, I'm I'm five eight and I wanted a big man to make me feel like a tiny little woman. And but what once I realized that and once I looked inwards and thought, well, why do I even want to feel like a tiny little woman? There you go. Why is that important there you go. to me? Why is that important? And then it's like, oh, because of these you these tropes that we see of being a damsel in distress and we have to have a big man that saves us and all this extra bullshit. But yeah, desirability politics does show up in a lot of different ways. And I think, yes, dating apps, I use that as an easier example for folks mm-hmm. to grasp it because it's literally this hot or not type of situation where you're swiping right or left. Thankfully, the Tinder, they've kind of reduced people to that. But like, also, I, I encourage people to look beyond and look at like, desirability is not just about dating. It's also about people's safety because again, if there's a black fat person and a white fat person in the room, sure, the white fat person is still fat. They still are more desirable because they're white. Therefore, they have more safety because they're when you're desirable, people are more likely to take care of you, protect you, ensure that you're not just physically safe, but also emotionally safe too. make sure that you feel like you're not that you're a part of something. Make sure that you are just existing and existing. OK, but like. People have to understand that, yeah, desirability, yes, dating, it's fucked up in dating, but like that also could be a life or death situation too because desirability, again, like I said, also plays a part in how people are perceived and who deserves and who doesn't deserve safety or care. Yeah, okay, that that's interesting. I mean, you were talking about fetishization mm-hmm. and 
I mean, I know it's a really big problem, but how do you tell the difference between if somebody is just really, really attracted to you versus them fetishizing you? Well, fetishization comes with a lack of consent. You can comp- There's a difference between complimenting people and being weird and fetishizy, especially when you're saying like, because you can say someone looks nice. I don't think that's a problem. But when it comes to things like I want to like something sexual, like there's a level of consent that needs to happen. You need to be like, yo, Cheyenne, can I say something to you? Can I make a comment? It's kind of, it may be perceived as an appropriate or sexual. May I say it to you? Okay. Sit can- on my face. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Please. I mean, listen, I have friends who are in larger bodies and they're on Instagram and I see their DMs. And Please, my people, DM, disgusting. They're disgusting. It's, it's terrible. There was one one time this, this white lady messaged me. was like, oh, I want you to just lay on me. And I'm like, just lay on. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like what? <laughs> and listen, I am, I, I am someone who's very sexually liberated. I think sex is very important. It's very important for me. Kink is very important for me. These are things I talk about openly, but just because I talk about these things openly and I exist in a larger body and I'm also a black person who's also non-binary and queer, all these things, not, I don't want to keep reminding people of these things, but we still got in these contexts, we do have to think about these layers. Um, does not mean that you can't, you can step to me and just be like, yo, I want you to like sit on my face and fucking watch SpongeBob for a whole hour. Like, right. no, like sounds you, so fun. That but, does sound very fun and mood, but I have but to like, be into you. <laughs> but I, right. And also like, you have to ask me first too. And there has to be, I just feel like people, when it comes to certain folks, there's a level of, there's a lack of decorum that again and also we got to think about how parasocial relationships happen too especially on instagram especially for people who are doing public facing work or influencing work how that could create this this weird situation where people feel like they're entitled to your body and entire title to your space but again fetishization is a complete dehumanization of a person based on the ways in which they exist so their identity and the intersections that that it encompasses right um so yes there is a difference between and i've seen dms of people who are on the opposite spectrum of me who are thin and white and they don't get stepped to like that. Sometimes they do, but it's not, it's not a consistent thing. Like even on a date nap, I rarely get even just high. People just be like, and not just men, just people in general be like, yo, I want you to sit on my face. Yo, insert this explicit line of what I want to do to you today. Ugh. Or like, it's, it's really weird. Like you didn't even ask me what type of time I was on. <laughs> Like, right. like, like I'm not even on that. I'm on that type of time, but not with you. I don't even know who you are. Like you didn't even say hi to me. It's just not good tact either. It's, not. it's like, if you really wanted that to happen, you would schmooze a little bit first. for sure. And, but the thing is at the same time, we also have to think about, we exist in a world where, and this is a very much a sidebar. We, we have to, have you ever heard of what hogging is? We have no. to think, okay, it's very bad. So hogging is basically when fat people are kind of, they're kind of tricked into like a group sex situation where they all, like snort at them. There's actually a studies. Oh. Yeah. There's actually studies about that. So as a fat person, even as a, as a person, fat person that's dating, I'm very cognizant of the things that could potentially happen. So I'm very scared. I'm very scared of people doing weird shit to me. That's just off the cuff and gross. And also on top of that, I say that to say this, the reason why I give that example is because people don't think fat people should be humanized and seen with their humanity intact. They feel like they can approach them in any way possible because it's like, you lucky I'm even approaching you. Right, right. You lucky I even think you're cute. You're lucky I even think whatever. And it's like, if you really thought I was a, I was worth my humanity, you would approach me like a human. Right. Like, if you go up to a girl that you really like, that you really want to impress, or a person, anybody... Don't you have some tact? Don't you think about what you're going to say? Don't you craft oh, sure. a question? Try to say something clever. But this attitude is kind of like, I'm just throwing whatever scraps I have and you're just lucky to get my leftovers type for, of thing. For sure. And even for me, when I'm talking to people who don't identify as men, I I, try, I approach them with even more care because I, especially those that look like me or exist in bodies similar to mine. I treat them with even more care because I understand the experiences that I've had and I don't want to perpetuate anything onto them because even though I'm a fat person, I can still perpetuate fat phobia. Like that doesn't yeah. stop anything. I can still perpetuate desirability politics and whiteness onto other people. So I'm still cognizant of how I behave and show up in certain situations and how I want to treat people. But again, I'm a person who understands what it's like to not have their humanity at the on the table. Mm-hmm. 
I have a question. Sure. I feel like we're close now and I can ask you. Sure. I, <laughs> Absolutely. I, so I used to be in a larger body until mm-hmm. I was about 20 years old. And then I intentionally dieted and lost a, a great deal of weight, like 30% of my body weight. Ever since then, I have noticed that being around other people who lost a fair amount of weight, there is sometimes this attitude of superiority. Of course. Like, oh, we overcame this uh, affliction that we had. Of course. Why can't other people do that? And I've talked to other plus size people who have said the same thing, that this attitude exists, that it's like, I lost weight. Why can't you? Do you run into that? And what do you have to say to those people? Uh, uh, Oh, my God. I don't have to always necessarily run into that personally, but I've seen it. Um, And again, we're still early enough in the year where it's kind of tapering off now because it's the summertime. But in January, February, you see a bunch of fat people trying to lose weight or former fat people saying, well, I'm so proud of y'all. Y'all doing the damn thing. And it's like you're doing the work. You're doing the work. And I'm like what are you talking about? And just even just like with that type of response, a lot of times I just, I'm at a point where I just ignore it. Not because I'm non-confrontational because there are times where I speak and say, yo, like you doing too much. But like, I'm at a place now where people are going to do what they want to do. And like, it's not my job to fight every battle. I've already put the information out there that people need to learn how to, to accept their bodies. Cause I don't want to say love their bodies because again, we don't always love everything. No, we, but we, it's, it's about acceptance. It's, a, it's body neutrality over body positivity, especially now because white people have co-opted the space, white thin people, especially have co-opted the space. But there is a superiority because like a lot of larger body people, they recognize that they get treated differently because they live in smaller bodies. They recognize that their dating pools seemingly open up. They recognize that when they go out in public, they can sit in a chair and be comfortable. They recognize that um, they can go through a turnstile and not have an issue. They recognize that they can go on a plane and not have an issue. They recognize that they can travel places and be treated like a human. They recognize that there is a life that exists that is different because again, if you live in a more desirable body, you do have a different life. You have a different quality of life. And especially if you used to exist in a larger body, then you super know the difference. And I, I I think that that attitude is almost natural because many of those people have not overcome their, their own fat phobia. They haven't. Their internalized fat phobia. And like, that's why they felt like they needed to lose weight in the first place. Um, And, you know, everybody's journey is different and I'm not telling anybody not to lose weight, but I do think that. If you do lose weight, you still need to address the fat phobia underneath and not treat people like they're garbage. And also on top of that, number one and number two, like you don't necessarily I don't think you have to make it like, oh, let's turn it into like this this culty situation where, oh, this is what I've done. So now we all got to drink the Mm Kool-Aid. No, we don't need to do all of that. I feel like we it's like. Some things I feel like are personal. Weight loss is one of those things. Again, I'm not really someone that's going to say what you need to do with your body. However, we also have to think about the ways in which we inflict other people and trigger other people and be mindful of what messages we're putting onto other people. Because I feel like if we're going to be pro weight loss, there is a level of fat phobia to that. Because again, we do know that um, health is health can be a bunch of bullshit too. Because yes, they may say, oh, certain things may be certain measures or whatever. But at the same time, that's not necessarily true. And we also, even a doctor's told me, Cheyenne, we don't know shit about weight. Like, they really don't know a lot about it. They really don't. They know less than they claim. They do. Yeah. They absolutely do. I, ha- I always like to ask our guests this question because I feel like it always opens up a can of worms. Okay. And I enjoy it. The okay, thrill. wonderful. Have you had any experiences with doctors that have been traumatizing or, you know, Hell poor, yeah. poor bedside Hell manner? yeah. Just recently. Yes, just recently. I had to get a fibroid removed off my uterus. It was like a plum sized fibroid. Very oh, fun times. No, that's um, so rough. My, it was. My um my surgeon was a godsend. I liked him. He's really cool. Dr. Ed Vincula. Shout out to him. Um, shout out to Columbia Doctors. I had a doctor, her name, and I'm I don't give a fuck about name drop dropping. Gloria fucking Bachman at Rutgers at <laughs> Rutgers. One of the few things the one of the things that I'm gonna talk about that's very difficult now at this stage of my life is that I don't identify as a woman. So I need doctors that are going to understand, like, these are my pronouns. My pronouns are they, them. Do you say that right away? I do. And I try. And one of the other things is that that's an issue that a lot of these doctors don't even tell you that they that you can change your pronouns in the system. 
Because a lot of times they just give you the male or female option. They don't give you the the, the other option or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like even at Columbia, I had to tell them like I didn't know that until someone's like, yeah, you can tell somebody they'll change it for you. So they changed it for me. But I but at um, Rutgers, they they have like a, a pride center. They call it the pride center. Everything's fucking pride. They the killed pride me. Pride center. I'm screaming, but whatever. <laughs> Very so the pride the pride like center is where there are doctors that are known to work with people who are gender nonconforming, who are trans, who are queer, so on and so forth, and. I went in, I'm thinking, and the, and the doctor had her little pride pin on, so I'm thinking, I'm safe here. Okay. So I go in, I put on the hospital gown because I was also getting my annual. I took my cute little picture in my hospital gown because it's teal. I'm like, this kind of sexy. I like this. So <laughs> it's that teal is the color of your hair mm-hmm. in the front. In the front. It's in your, kind of your color. Thank you. Thank you. And so I'm laying there, I'm getting examined, whatever. And so. Now it's time to talk about my symptoms because the reason why I went to her as well is because I went to their hospital in another town. So my information would just transfer over instead of doing the song and dance of getting my information and bringing it with me. So I'm sitting there and I'm telling her my symptoms. One of the symptoms I had was I didn't eat. I didn't have an appetite. I barely ate when I was having any severe cramping. I thought I was dying. Like I was in pain all the time. She turns to me and goes, well, that's good that you're not eating because you need to lose weight um, and that your body needs to go into ketosis so that you can lose weight. And <gasps> she did not bring up ketosis. She brought up ketosis in 20 fucking 22. <laughs> she surely did. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then she proceeds to talk. She proceeds to ask me like, are you eating a lot of sugary foods? Are you eating a lot of starch? I said, I'm not eating at all. Like I'm right, barely, I just I'm, told you. I'm barely like the first meal I had in days, a full meal was like a soup. And I, and the, and the food that I was eating, I was barely eating. I was not feeling well. And so like, she's like, you need to get more exercise. I was like, well, I am pretty active. Like I'm letting her know, like I'm doing what I need to do for myself. This it's is just a, not what you need to hear when you're writhing in pain. Yeah, so I reported to the board So because I, I said, fuck that lady, I'm not doing this. So I did report her. I have not heard back from them, but they did let me know that it's going to take once to hear back from anybody if I okay. do. But like that was one time that honestly, that was I've, I've experienced a lot of like you need to lose weight conversations yeah. and like. Doctor- I also think that question of like. Are you eating a lot of sugary foods? Is oh, of one course. they always, always they were they default to that because they think that fat again, they think they've been trained that fatness is an amalgamation of poor choices, as I said previously. Mm-hmm. But the other issue that's that's problematic is that I also feel like even just the lead up to me getting this fibroid diagnosed, I had to go to the I had to go to the ER three times. The first time was with the the the, the, the last hospital I went to and they said nothing was was there, but they thought they suspected I had fibroids, but they didn't keep me to keep the further the diagnosis. They just suspected it. They sent me home with a stomach. Uh, what's it called? Like not cramping the spa- antispasmodic medication. OK. And that didn't work at all. I'm still writhing in pain. I go to another one. Um, and mind you, keep in mind that this is post Roe versus Wade. I forgot that the second hospital I went to was a Catholic hospital. So I'm there. I'm talking this man, another Carl. Dr. Carl literally looks at me and gives a deep Caucasian sigh while I'm explaining to him my, my symptoms. Like he's like, I'm boring him. It was what, the, what is a Caucasian sigh? He was like, hmm. Okay. You know, yeah. that, that, you know yeah. how they purse the lips. It's like, kind of, and yeah. it's kind of out the nose yeah, a little bit. Yeah. More nasally. Not so much <laughs> like not, you don't really see the breath moving from the mouth. It's right, more, they it's can't all show in emotion. the nose. Yeah. It's, it's stoic as fuck. <laughs> so he's just like, hmm. And I'm like, well, well, damn, like, am I boring you? Like, am I making you miss your soap opera? Cause I'm fucking dying. Like what's going on? So like he, um, I'm explaining to him my symptoms. He's like, well, I suspect that it's reproductive. However, we're not going to run any other, other, other tests from the hospital. We're um, just going to give you a Motrin. We don't have a person to do. It was like 11 PM. We don't have a tech to give you an ultrasound right now. Now, first of all, whether I could be lying to you this whole time. You're supposed to run a pregnancy test at least yeah. at a hospital. Regardless. They run that if you have a broken wrist. They have to because what if you, you we need to, that changes things. Also, in my situation, that's really dire. Now, mind you, I wasn't, unfortunately, I was not having sex. But like, what if I was and I was lying? What if I had an ectopic pregnancy? I literally could have died. Right. Like, like, there was a lack of care. So he gives me this Motrin and I'm just like, what the fuck? And then I went back to the, la- the hospital again. And then I had to wait six hours to get a transvaginal, um, I had to beg for a transvaginal, um, 
ultrasound. I, I waited six hours. The lady that did it was very mean. She was jamming the shit in there like like, and she's like, "Well, why are you moving?" I'm like, "You're literally sticking something phallic <laughs> up me, and I'm not prepared for it." They don't understand that that's just the last place that you want to be. My coochie's not prepared twenty four seven. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? So I'm sitting up here like, "Okay, this is a lot." And then they're like, "Oh yeah, you have a fibroid that's the size of a plum." And I'm like, "Oh wow, great." Thanks. All that just to do that. But I, again, I feel like, and I wrote about it, an article about it because I was just, it was a very harrowing experience for me, but being in a post Roe versus Wade world now dealing with a repro reproductive health. Oh, also the other thing that I forgot about the Dr. Bachman situation was that she was very like upset, not obsessed, but she was very intrigued about whether or not I wanted to freeze my eggs. Oh, interesting. And like, I didn't know if it was because I, I, I consider my, I'm not, I don't identify as a woman. So like, I didn't know if there was like a level of transphobia to that too. I was trying to figure that out, but like, you know, my, my first thought is that sometimes if, when you have fibroids and I, I only know this cause I have a family member who had them. Um, it does affect your ability it, to have it children. It does. And I am going to actually freeze my eggs. That's the only thing I took from that conversation. I am, but it's so expensive. This shit is like, it's so expensive. You know, and most insurances do not cover it either. Like it's, it's very, true. It's, you have to pay out of pocket. No, I, you, when you're 28 and up, everybody is telling you to freeze your eggs. Yeah. Completely. Um, forgetting the fact that, it ain't cheap. I don't have 20K just for them to extract some some little shines. Like and, I don't I don't have that. Yeah, and it's not foolproof. Like it it doesn't always take also. So, you know, this attitude that like, oh, just freeze your eggs and you'll no, have insurance. No. There's medication involved. They have to see if you how many viable eggs you have. It's very invasive. You have to maintain the eggs, they have to pay a maintenance fee every year. It's like twelve hundred dollars. Oh, yeah. yeah. You have to rent a fridge or you something. You literally are renting a refrigerator for your <laughs> eggs. It's a lot going on. Like you're paying rent for your eggs and yourself. Like it, it, only in America. Too much. Um, but anyway, yeah, like those are my experiences. I, I feel like a lot of those things happen to me because number one, I'm black and they don't think black people could they think black people have a, a different threshold for pain. Right. Um and number two, like again, the way that he was talking to me and and it and just behaving when I was talking to him as if I didn't understand what was happening or I was boring him. And I was literally in a dire circumstance. Like I really was feeling unwell. So just even the ways in which I was treated. And then also on top of that, these conversations around my weight and my need to lose weight, um, is very unfortunate and very problematic for me. And just in general. Um, and I just feel like there's so much that health again, because of the puritanical leanings, because of these weird like the BMI complex that they developed and they developed for insurance. They didn't develop it. Yeah. They didn't develop it for anything else but money. Yeah. Like, Listeners, look it up. Look up the history of BMI. A, yeah. It's it's, it, it's it, enlightening. It's It really is. But people still don't give a fuck about that. They think it's still a lie. But still, I just, I don't know. Going to the doctor is not my favorite thing. Yeah. It's something I have to do now, especially with my fibroids. I have to make sure I'm good. But like, it's not my favorite thing. And I really try to go places that are fat affirming. I will say really quick, the one great place, and I wish I could still go, but they don't take my insurance. Colin Lord Center was one of the first places where I was not only affirmed as a non-binary person, but also affirmed as a fat person because I was scared about getting weighed. And the lady said to me, I'm larger bodied. My daughter is larger bodied. I would never talk to you any type of way. And then she said, even if we weren't, I still don't, I still think you're a human and you deserve to have quality care. You know, I've is, never heard that in a, a doctor's so office refreshing. before. That's so refreshing, but that's the way that it should be in every doctor's office. And I'm like, damn, can I get a sticker and a lollipop too? That's crazy. <laughs> I really was really excited. You know what? We have to wrap up the show. I would talk to you for another hour if I could. Just to summarize, I guess, what would you say to somebody who might have dealt with a lot of the stuff that you have dealt with? Sure. And maybe they're halfway between knowing that Diet culture is not good for them. Pursuing weight loss is not necessarily going to solve their problems, but they are facing these societal mm -hmm. issues that are very, very taxing. What would you advise them to do in that situation? Well, I'm going to talk to them like I had to talk to myself because, again, I have to, you know, I can't really give advice unless I'm, I'm honest about where my journey was. I think part of that is giving yourself grace because we all fall into the traps of white supremacy. We all internalize stuff. And even if you are the most evolved quote unquote person, you still have shit that you have to work out because the isms are stuff that's ingrained in us epigenetically, meaning like while you're in utero till you are out the womb and, and out the house and all that extra shit. So one thing I'll say, give yourself some grace, but also like 
find a community that's going to accept you for you and kind of hold you accountable, but call you in when they hold you accountable. Not in a way that's aggressive, not in a way that's manipulative, but like, hey, we see some things. We want to have a conversation with you. Let's have a conversation about how we can be better. Let's have a conversation about how we can support you in your journey. You can't unpack anything by yourself. You need the education system to catch up with that and do do better. You need a community that's going to support you through that. And you also just need love and support through that process. Now, if you're being harmful outright and people have already spoken to you, that's when your ass need to be called out and like, no, we're not doing this shit no more. But like, and you, you're being harmful, you, you need to stop or we're going to make you stop. Mm -hmm. But like, I really think that folks need a little more grace and patience and a little more self-kindness and communal kindness and patience and grace as well. Because again, work shouldn't be done alone. It's too much to, to it's, it's cumbersome and it's too much to take on in our, by ourselves. So I definitely feel like Folks really need to, you know, find the right community that will sit with them and 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 kind of navigate things. Also, therapy. And again, I'm not someone that's going to say everybody got to go to therapy because I know there's there's a lot of different conversations. But therapy has really been helpful in me unpacking a lot of things, because especially a fat black fair therapist. Shout out to Brittany. Yeah, Brittany. She's, she's great. My experience with my therapist has really allowed me to see myself through a different lens and to accept myself because I felt like I'm seeing myself in her in a way. Um, and also just allowing myself to be vulnerable and learn what vulnerability looks like and being honest about where I am in my own thought processes and like and my own like development as a human being. So I definitely feel like definitely working with a professional helps. But again, just community support, period, is very important in that process. Perfect advice. Like no notes. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Thank where you. can people find you and follow um, you? People can find me on the shit show of a platform, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. And Tumblr. And what's your handle? Shymo D. So all the same. C-H-E-Y-M-O-D-double -E, e. That's two E's. Wonderful. That's it for today's episode, guys. Be sure to send your questions to DST at Betches.com to get them answered. And follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram. If you like this episode, please write us a review. And don't forget to check out our DST merch on shop.betches.com. Rate, review, subscribe to the show. And of course, follow me at Lubination. Follow Cheyenne at Shymodi. And follow Remy at Remy Casimir. Even though she's not here today, she'll be back in the next episode. Remember, we're always with you through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Aliza Zinn. Editing by Sean Kilby. Social media by Aliza Zinn. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Be sure to follow Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com or your voicemails to 212-287-5650. Batches.